0: You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. The Trek Files, Season 9, Episode 3. Starfleet Academy, Memo from Mike Akuda, November 13th, 1987. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host... Dr. Trek, Larry Nemec. Welcome back, Star Trek fans! All you uh, history fans, all you all you tech heads, yes, all you canonistas—and I always say that lovingly. I mean, you know who you are, Trekophiles spelled with an F. Um, we're going to revisit a guest uh, that we had on previously. We're going to go back to a special time. We talk so much, you know, about the roots of Star Trek, the brain trust that helped the next generation get started in 1986. But eventually, the show did get made. The show did get launched. We had encounter at Farpoint. And yet, that first year or two, which has famously been called Chaos on the Bridge by William Shatner's documentary, um, it was a crazy time, loosey-goosey time, before Michael Pillard came in, and really things settled down to become what we, what we know before. But of course, Star Trek was being made for a year and two seasons in that early time. and. There was an uh, in-between. Some things weren't quite the well-oiled machine they'd be later. And one of the guests we've had on recently, I wanted to have back because he was part of that time. So look, we've got the documents up this week as usual. Go take a look at what we've got for you this week. And um, here's an audio sample, of course. But then hang on, and I'll be right back with our guest this week to talk more about it. two, pull back to reveal. Such optical zoom backs are relatively expensive and difficult, since a match shot is involved. This is a story point, so I think you're justified in asking for it, but I think it might be a good idea to avoid asking for such zoom backs elsewhere in the script where they are not a story point. And there you go, truck of files. Um, it's a note. From notes from, of all people, Mike Akuda, about, yes, science, but also mixing in a little bit of TV smarts as, as, some, as some tips <laughs> to an early script that was called Starfleet Academy and soon became known as Coming of Age. And if we're talking Coming of Age, you know, I th- hope you caught our first visit with, with our gentleman guest today, uh, Sandy Freeze. It's so good for you to come back and join us and talk about something a little bit beyond the scope of just your episode for Next Generation. Thanks for joining us again today.
1: Well, I'm very, very happy to be here, and thank you for asking me, and go for the questions.
0: <laughs> well, Sandy, it's, it's fun, because I know you've put a book together about your career. We Make sure and mention that toward the end, but what fascinates me, as the more I've talked to you here recently, number one, I, I regret that we didn't get to talk over the years since I, since I did my Next Generation Companion book way back in the day, and so many people enjoyed that, I know, over the years they've told me, but there's so much from the early years that was impossible to get to because it was a little bit of a free-for-all. There was And, and just kind of out-of-the-box organizing. And on one hand, you were able to pitch and then do a story draft and do a, a script and get credit for what became Coming of Age. But this idea that you had been involved really far beyond what uh, this one story and even apparently what IMDb is showing for you, It's another case of how things fall between the cracks. Mm -hmm. We were talking about this, though. So talk about you really were writing notes. It feels like not so much for the whole series, but just for Gene personally, through a contract with Paramount, the studio.
1: Yeah, yeah. I had a contract with Paramount Studios that was negotiated by my agent with Paramount uh, Business Affairs Department. And I was writing notes to Gene Roddenberry and giving him suggestions on scenes. Scene changes, dialogue, dialogue changes, uh, character business, character actions on outlines, second draft outlines, third draft outlines, scripts, second draft scripts, third draft scripts, fourth draft scripts, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I wrote uh, memos and notes to Gene on many, many things, many episodes. Uh, Plus, I was also, in addition to being a staff writer on Star Trek Next Generation, I was also a uh, story editor for 10 of the video games that Paramount produced, Balkan's Fury, which DC Fontana wrote, Borg video game, uh, Starfleet Academy, which Bill Shatner starred in. Uh, And yeah, it's very, very, very involved in the process. uh, And it's a very, very multifaceted, multidimensional dimensional amazing process it's a heck of a process i'm telling you
0: well this is again we talked the first time you were joining us we talked about we were laughing a little bit but also looking at it as a moment in time your handwriting script and i know a lot of writers did that and then it a typist just took your took your handwritten pages and, and converted it over we're talking about you know script discs and what software you using and uh, it was really a transitional time but you mentioned your games, and I want to talk about that, but there was so much happening where we were getting out of the typewriter days, you know, and, and cable was coming in, and it's, of course, Next Generation is going to pioneer syndication, and so much of the landscape of everything is changing, and people are going to start thinking about video games and computer games. And, but this idea that, I mean, I, I, can, I can look at this, the shows, we've got the memos, you were, you were getting paid as a staff writer. You've got the archives. We, our docs this week have a couple of, just a couple of, of the call sheets that you sent me. We can get these call sheets out, but these were from your files. This idea that you were sending notes back and forth to Gene in that first year when a lot of, a lot of the way things would be set up later on weren't established. And it, it, it sounds like you had a, and, and I noticed on this uh, script distribution buck, Sorry, I'm being so scattered, but it feels like a scattered time. It's like people are doing everything. And it's almost like Gene found you through Robert Lewin, who was a producer on, again, just the first year. And that's what you tell us you came. But it's like they're pulling every thread they can to get this monster off the ground. Does that make sense?
1: Well, you know, life in general is complex. Uh, (laughs) Life in general has good things and wacky things. So if you look at Star Trek as a subset of life, which it is, you know, it's uh, there's good things. There's sometimes things that are wacky, you know, welcome to being alive. You know, if I wanted to work on something totally simple, totally easy, I would write haiku on a mountaintop. Nobody would read it. Nobody would care. When you want to write for a TV show that millions and millions of people watch, it's a complex process. And uh, that's why not many people have the uh, skills to do it.
0: Right. Well, you mentioned in the first visit that Gene latched onto you because he enjoyed the way you wrote character dialogue. And it sounds like they kept you around. I'm looking at this script book. I know Greg Strangis, uh, who was a producer at the time and worked on some of the other series that Paramount was promoting. And we know helped shepherd the first iteration of a next generation format that never happened because Gene said, no, I'm going to come back and do it myself. And he's on this script distribution buck. And, uh, it's, it's an interesting mystery. I think we're kind of coming to the idea that you got your paycheck and maybe Greg too from the studio directly, not so much from that series. And, and I don't know if you contributed to other shows around the lot or, or mainly just with Gene, but, uh, it's kind of a fascinating little hiccup in time here. Cause I was, I was fascinated to not find you listed, but you, you've got, you were showing me your notes uh, from other shows and things for the first year. So, yeah,
1: you know, you know, the thing is, uh, st- and you're a young writer and you're like, Hey, yes,
0: I'm just working guys. Whatever. You know,
1: did, did Pat, <laughs> write, writing a TV show, especially one with uh, the history and the expect, expectations of the Star Trek property. It's called a property, uh, you know, the Star Trek property, mm-hmm. big, big, big deal to Paramount. Uh, to Paramount's shareholders, to the head of Paramount, the CEO, to whichever corporation at the time owned Paramount. It may possibly have been Gulf and Western. Uh, but, you know, this is big corporate stuff. So it will be a complex process because everybody wants things to turn out as well as possible, you know, for the fans, for the messages, for the lessons. But it's also a money-making uh, process. So yes, it's complex. It's very, it's, it is a very complex process.
0: Well, I'm, I'm looking at this, this, the reason I liked having, they used to call them bucks. I don't know why, where that came from, but the script distribution list, little ca- card that was on top of scripts. Um, and you're, you're yellowed here on your own copy. I know, you know, you that most, all of these gentlemen have passed and I didn't know uh, what your interaction was. You mentioned, I think before, uh, well, Maury Hurley was on his way to emerging midway through the first season as the show, what we think of now as the showrunner, at least the head writer, and then was around for another season. But uh, you you mentioned that um, Robert Lewin was really it wasn't so much him I think you had the relationship with, but his agent was your agent. But can you talk about working? All these gentlemen wrote notes back on your script as you worked on Coming of Age, and I don't know how much interaction you had, but what comes to mind when you see? Maury Hurley, Robert Lewin there, Herb Wright, well, um, but, uh, and well, Leonard, and the infamous Leonard Majlish, who was Gene's attorney.
1: Okay, when I, when I hear the name Maury Hurley, uh, or Morris, as his name is probably on the book, mm-hmm. I, there are a couple of thoughts come to my mind. One, I'm sorry he's passed away. Two, I remember a very dramatic scene where I was really angry at him, and... Told him off and used a four-letter word. I'm too embarrassed to say. Uh, so I, I had a I had a fight with Maury, not physical, but it could have it could have mm-hmm. run into physical if I stayed in his office a little longer. Uh, I talk <laughs> I talk about that in my book Secrets Your Textbook Will Not Tell You on Amazon about behind the scenes stuff at Star mm-hmm. Trek. Uh, so I think of when I think of Mori Hurley, I'm, I'm sorry he's dead. Uh, I had a fight with him. That's what I think. And I think I'm alive and he's not. So I win. Well, (laughs) What do I think in terms of some of the other guys? Uh, Did you,
0: I mean, did you actually know you shared an agent and that was your in, but did you actually know Robert Lewin? Because we've got us other than like maybe one interview from the time we've got very little.
1: Bob Lewin was my, uh, was also represented by my agent, uh, Mitch Stein. Also, Maury Hurley later became represented by my agent. Maury became executive producer, co-executive producer, and I think he was a showrunner in effect. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I did not know Bob Lewin before, but because we had the same agent, that was the connection to Bob. And my agent called me and said, hey, Sandy, uh, I'm thinking of representing Maury Hurley. What do you think about that? And I told my agent what I thought about it. And I'm not going to tell you what I told my agent.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All righty then.
1: But I I will tell you uh, when I think of Gene Roddenberry, I think of a guy who had fun. I also think of being in a meeting with him in his great big office and him telling me something that kind of pissed me off and me thinking to myself, well, Gene just told me something that's going to ruin my episode, and it's not going to say on the screen, written by Sandy Freeze, but wrecked by Gene Roddenberry. It's going to say written by Sandy Freeze. and So I, I would get the blame. So I tried to talk him out of it. I could not. Uh, I made it work. That's also in my book, Secrets Your Textbook Will Not Tell You on mm-hmm. Amazon. Shameless plug. Uh, but I, I basically, what do I think of Gene? Overall, very nice to me, very kind to me. Cool guy, and the guy created a huge, immense property. So he wins, and I don't. You know, he created Star Trek: Next Generation. What do I think of Bob jessman Very nice guy, brilliant guy.
0: Did you ever have any run-ins with Gene's attorney, the infamous Leonard majlish
1: Did you have lunch yet today? How how was your lunch? <laughs> what did you have for lunch? Was it a tuna sandwich? That's your that's your worst. Well, no, I mean if you didn't, that's that, that's my answer to you. Here's my answer to you. I'm going to give it to you again. I love tuna fish sandwiches. Okay.
0: <laughs> wow. I'm just giving you a chance to contribute to history, though. Although I'll, I'll, I think okay. it sounds contrib- like
1: you I'll contribute to history. I'll tell you a Leonard Maisler story. Leonard was Gene's Jean- uh, attorney. Yes. And our Leonard had an office in the same building as everybody else. It was on the top floor. Uh, it was called the G building. and Leonard had a big, 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 big pile of papers on his desk. It was literally a mountain of papers. must have been about four and a half feet high, all scattered, all all messy papers. And I remember he once, uh, I was having a discussion with him. I said, Leonard, uh, what about this thing in this other episode? Uh, What was the outline like? And he reaches into the middle of the damn pile and he pulls out the outline exactly. And he starts reading to me from the exact outline. So how did he do that? I do not know. It, other than that, I had a sensational tuna sandwich for lunch today. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said. Well, I, I want to, this is the writer's
0: book. And if we can, we talked about uh, Mike Okuda's science notes, obviously, to you. And I know he was, he's actually listed as a tech advisor through all those years, no matter who the the uncredited science advisor is. And these are very practical, good, good notes here. but. Um, it sounds like you guys really hit it off as far as having a relationship. He could tell you cared. You could tell he cared. You know, yeah, Mike, Mike and
1: I oh. were and are very, very good friends. He's a super guy, wonderful guy. His wife's fantastic. And I, I've known Mike for a long, long time. And uh, we had a great time. You know, it was like two kids playing in the world's mm. best, most expensive sandbox.
0: Well, you mentioned uh, playing in the shuttle that you won. That's why I love this, you know, first season, Andy Probert des- helped design the Enterprise D or designed the bulk of it and worked the first season. And uh, this, I guess, calling card here as a thank you was very nice to have. But the fact that he's thanking you for the show, it's, it's so funny. The next gen shuttlecraft in the beginning was so problematic because they couldn't do compound curves the way Andy wanted to design it. But it evokes back to the original series about the shuttlecraft being like the expensive extra toy and the deal with AMT model kits is how they actually got their filming set and their miniature and all that. And it was almost as bad even 20 years later for Next Generation. It it, it took building the shuttlecraft in pieces and even then um, just to refresh the history. And then until the shuttle pod was designed for season two, did they really get to use it? But the big breakthrough, this is the first time we see anything of a shuttlecraft and Here's Andy thanking you. So that must have been cool.
1: Uh, yeah, it was very cool. The, uh, the reason we did the shuttlecraft is because Mike Okuda said to me, boy, Sandy, it would be so cool to have a shuttlecraft set. <laughs> and I said, okay, Mike, I'll write one in, in, a, in an episode. And I did. And Mike and I, when they were not shooting, played on the shuttlecraft set. You could pull it apart from different angles, shoot different angles. So we'd, you know, we'd get different angles. We'd take pictures of ourselves. you know, it was great just playing on it. Uh, I'll tell you another thing. If anybody ever wants to get Andy Probert upset, which you should not do because he's a nice guy, there was a trick that we knew how to get Andy upset. We would take one of the models of the Enterprise, turn it upside down and say, you know, it looks good upside down too. Why don't they do it this way? And he would get <laughs> unhappy about that. So if you ever meet Andy Prober, you want to get him upset, just show him a model of, of his uh, design and say, hey Andy, this is so great upside down. Why didn't they do it this way?
0: It seems to be a running sore spot with a lot of the illustrators, uh, backwards and, or and or upside down. Gosh, uh, Sandy, this, is, this has been amazing. I just wanted to, you know, we don't have a lot of witnesses to this era of Star Trek and uh, just to giving us a few tastes. And I know there's more in your book, so we, we won't go there all the way except to mention it again. But I, I just want to thank you so much for being here and, and finding, again, some more unexplored uh, corners of Star Trek that we may, may not be aware of and that you were a witness to. So uh, this is not the shameless plug. This is where the hosts ask you to give us the name of your book.
1: It is called Secrets Your Textbook Will Not Tell You. It's a fun read, a lot of behind the scenes stuff about Star Trek, stories you have never heard and will be shocked by some of the stuff I said to people, especially Maury. Uh, It's on Amazon, Secrets Your Textbook Will Not Tell You. There you go. And thank you so much for having me. I, I really enjoyed doing it. And I'm honored to be a part of that history of Star Trek.
0: Yeah, well, and I should say, your book covers more than your Star Trek writing, right?
1: Yeah, it, talks, the, it yeah. talks about my working with uh, Stan Lee. Uh, it talks about a very stupid thing I did involving Stan Lee. Uh, maybe the biggest mistake in my, my, my life. Gosh, <laughs> something very dumb I did. Uh, Stan Lee offered me something, and I did not grab it. And mm. it was it was a big deal. It's, it's a story about me turning down, being in charge of the X-Men movies, that's Alrighty, in the book, then. that's in the book too.
0: <laughs> Who knows how history might have been changed, but for, all, but for what we do know is, thank you, Sandy, for giving us uh, Benzites and thank you for giving us, <laughs> bringing on the next gen shuttlecraft, among other things.
1: Well, my, my pleasure and my pleasure to be here with you today. I'm, I'm very happy that you guys had me on.
0: Thank you, thank you for joining us. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Hey, all of our documents, and your chance to comment, of course, are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. For more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47, yes, that's me, at larrynemachek.com. Now that's where you can link in for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts, at our T Public shop, too. Trek well, everybody.